a little offended with Liddell this morning. He talked about that old song, and then I saw the copyright, copyright was my birthday. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Liddell, as I get ready to get up here and preach. Good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 13. We got started there this past week. You know, we're one month, one month into the new year. What have we seen? We've seen all kinds of chaos around the world. There's the, the deadly fires in Australia, the earthquakes in Puerto Rico. We've seen the threat and rumors of World War III, nuclear attacks. Uh, a passenger plane is shot out of the air by an Iranian missile. There have been, um, there's a new deadly virus called the coronavirus. There's the impeachment trials. And how can we forget that one of our own sister congregations had a shooter come in and try to shoot up the place in Texas during a very sacred moment of communion. And we look at this and say, well, what, how, how are we so, supposed to take all of this? Jesus would say, life in our world is anarchy. And, and these are things that continue to flow through time. But people respond to all of these different things, and they can look at the things just from this month. And, and, and you can see two really big extremes. One extreme is, and some of you are there. Uh, in fact, I'm kind of anxious to see who's there. And that is, I never watch the news. I don't want to know anything. Anybody like that? Okay, yes. You know, I just, you know what? Out of, out of sight, out of mind. Ignorance is bliss. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then the other extreme is, okay, these, these things, that, you know, these are signs, these are warnings, and we're trying to figure out when is Christ coming? Because look, all this bad stuff happening, Jesus has got to be coming. And we realize that this is something that's always kind of been around. And last week we began this mini-series uh, of the signs of the times. And we're talking about, you know, this messed up world that we live in, and, and, it's, and we said a lot of people go to Mark chapter 13, and they just go haywire. And they believe it's talking about, here's the way that we read these signs and how we know that Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. But we found out from the first four verses, if you just read it, it, just, it tells you straight out what he's answering. And he's answering the question about the destruction of the temple. He has said it's going to crumble to the ground. The disciples are shocked by it, and they want to know when these things, that phrase is found throughout, these things are going to happen. And so Jesus begins to tell them in this, in this kind of language, and he actually tells them the opposite of what we might think, and that is Jesus doesn't say, here are signs to know when the end of the world is. Jesus says, look at verse 7, Jesus says, look, they're deceptive. Signs are deceptive. And, and all these things, these wars and rumors of wars and all of these things that you're hearing, he says these are not signs that the world is ending. He says it's not the end at all. He says actually the beginning. Because what he's talking about is the destruction of the temple and something big is going to happen. The only sign that they were given through this whole thing is this abomination of desolation in verse 14. 
What was that? We don't know. The readers would have known. The readers would have known as soon as it happened. But, but we're, we're 2,000 years removed. But we're 2,000 years removed, and people are still going to Mark chapter 13 and go to these other texts, and they're trying to figure out what is it about these end times. People are still being deceived in claiming that these signs are telling us something more than they are. This past week, I noticed that Jack Van Emp passed away. You may know who he is, and he may be a wonderful man. I don't really know him personally, but I do know that for over 30 years, he was a televangelist. And his whole goal was to take current events and to show how these things are pointing to when Jesus is coming. They are, it's like a code of type of thing. And at one point, he actually said, we only report news from the latest papers and magazines but we use the word of God to show you that it means Christ is coming. And in the 1990s, he predicted that Jesus would come between 2001 and 2012. That's a pretty big lot there. But in 2020, what do we say? He was wrong. He was wrong. And not only was he wrong, what's interesting is people still followed him. People, because he still is trying, he was still trying to predict when these things are going to, Jesus says, don't don't get yourself caught up in those things. Don't do that. Our culture, and, and, and it's the culture we live in, we, we don't know what to do with these apocalyptic phrases, okay? These apocalyptic verses and things of that sort. And we see them as something that's mysterious, and we see them as something that needs to be decoded, and it's talking about something in our day and time as exactly what's happening now. And, and you usually find two groups of people, and that's one group of people, and they're always trying to see, you know, well, you know, in Revelation, it talked about these locusts. I think that is talking about the Apache helicopters. Believe me, this is actually one of them. And, and you hear all this, but then there's the other group, and some of you may find yourself in this group, you say, you know, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what they're saying, but I really don't know what to do with all of this apocalyptic language. And, and that's because we weren't seeped in these things. And we should have been, but we're not. And so those who were these, these Jews who were seeped in this, this um, poetic language of the prophets, they heard these things, and they heard them differently than we do as Westerners. And what I've found is the more I've learned about Hebrew poetry, the more it just, man, I just get a deeper understanding of things. First of all, I'm understanding more of what it's saying. But the second thing is, it just deepens my faith. And where we're going in this part of Mark chapter 13, I really believe is one of those that just, you just are sit there when you're finished and you're just like, oh, wow. It's, it's just powerful. So let's get started. I want to start in verse 24. He says, but in those days, after that tribulation, and this links to the abomination of desolation. If you look at verses 17 through 19, you see the same phraseology and all of that. And he's talking about this coming destruction of, of the temple in Jerusalem. He says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Ooh. That's scary language right? That's scary language to us. And it sounds like some kind of cosmic collapse. 
And some people have taken this and they've interpreted it. Look, when, the, when Jesus comes, it's going to be during some kind of eclipse. And they will look at these eclipses that are coming up of the sun or the moon and things like that. And they believe that's, that's what it is. But almost every single word in verses 24 through 27, we'll finish 26 and 27 in just a minute. Almost every single word comes right out of the Old Testament prophecies and the, the poetry that we find there. The prophets were those who wrote in this, this richly colorful, this, this deep language. As you think of poets, that's what they did. They wrote poetry. And so these first century believers, they pick up on this stuff. And there are several Old Testament passages that we could show. I showed in class one different one, but I'm going to show a different one for this class to show you exactly what's happening here. It comes right out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. I want us to read this part first. It says, The sound of the tumult is on the mountains as a great multitude, the sound of an uproar of kingdoms, a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. And what this is about is the destruction of the city of Babylon. Babylon was the most cruel, brutal, largest empire that the ancient world had ever seen. And Jesus here, or, or rather the prophet here, is writing this poem to show that God is going to level this city. Does that sound kind of familiar, what's happening over in Mark 13, the leveling of a city. And, and he even says, I'm going to stir up the Medes. And they're the ones who's going to bring them down, in which they did. But now watch what happens, verses 9 and 10. He's still talking about all of this. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Now, did the sun, the moon, and the stars just completely go blank in 539 BC when the Babylonian Empire, whoops, sorry about that, when the Babylonian Empire went down? No, no. But what was happening with this major evil nation that was trampling the nations of the world it, it, the the Isaiah the prophet the only way he knew to describe what was happening and by the way this happened in two weeks that's un, that's remarkable that a city would be sieged in two weeks but two weeks and the only way he knew to describe this mighty great powerful awful nation going down was as the lights that are going down in the cosmos. He's saying their light, their power is going out. This is an image that you, Jesus uses here in our text. And he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. To Jesus, Jerusalem has become like Babylon. They have become a place that, is, that has been violent, and arrogant like the nations of the world. Okay, get that. Now, it really gets, it really gets powerful. 
Let's read the rest of this little section, 26 and 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And so you're going, come on, you know this is about the second coming of Jesus. Look at this, read it. And that's because we read uh, with certain kinds of eyes. Jesus is quoting from a prophetic book. He's quoting from Daniel. It's one of my favorite accounts, one of my favorite visions or dreams we find in the Old Testament. And it's Daniel. Daniel has this vision, and he sees these, these four mutant creatures. I mean, it's nothing like you're going to see at, you know, at the zoo up here. Uh, I mean, these are just awful-looking things. And, and later on, in this text, God sends a messenger, and he says, I want to tell you what these beasts really are. He's writing in, all, in, in this, this language, and he tells them. Well, first of all, let me say this about the beast. They, uh, they devour the flesh. They're terrifying. They're dreadful. They're exceedingly strong. They devour. They break in pieces. What's left over, they just stomp on them. You get the idea? You get the idea. And so what he goes on, God sends this messenger, and he says, these four great beasts are for what? Kings. He's talking about kings. He's talking about kingdoms that arise on the earth. These are not actual beasts, these seven-headed monsters and everything else, and all of a sudden we're going to see them, and they're just, they're just destroying the cities of the earth. But these kingdoms did. And that's what Jesus, or, or that's what uh, is happening here. But what we find out is that God comes, he is called the Ancient of Days, he comes with fire and light, and he sets up thrones, and it's plural. God sits on the throne, and then there is another one beside him that is unoccupied. And he has come to, to bring down the evil kingdoms of the world, and he brings them down, and he destroys them. And then it says, as I looked, this horn made, with the saints, it made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And the judgment is given for the saints of the Most High. And the time uh, came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And he's saying here that one of these kingdoms, and it was actually the fourth beast, which was the most violent of them all, it, is, it was trampled and destroyed the Son of Man, which at that time was symbolic of God's people and its king. So all of a sudden... We read this looking back, because he's explaining all that later. But he's saying, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, is this sounding familiar at all to Mark 13? There came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And his kingdom shall be one that will not be destroyed. The son of man is one who's going to come riding on the clouds. Now here's the question. Because this is that first part. That's the exact quote right out of Mark chapter 13. 
Now, here's the question I have for you. Where is the cloud going? Where is the Son of Man going? It, it's, it's coming from the earth, and it's going to the Ancient of Days. This is not about the Son of Man coming down on a cloud. Because that's the way we think in terms of the second coming. This is not one coming down, it's going up. You see, it's, it's an exaltation. And, and, and what happens here is the one who has been trampled, the one who has been destroyed, is the one who now rises up with the clouds of heaven, and it's the one that is represented as the Son of Man, and that is Jesus. He is God, and he is man. He rides on the clouds, that's what God does, and he is the Son of Man, he is man. And it's talking about this exaltation. Now, let me ask you this. Is there ever a time that you can think of where, where Jesus was trampled on and destroyed and then was enthroned to the right hand of God? Do you know there's three predictions? We've gone through these. There were three predictions Jesus gives about his death and resurrection. And all three of these, he says the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. He is the one who will be enthroned. And this is happening in a matter of days. It's not going to happen in a matter of years. This is not about the dissolution of, uh, of the cosmos. It's about judgment and it's about salvation. Jesus coming meant salvation. Now, another part that throws us off, it says, yeah, but it says here that the angels are sent out to gather the elect. And we talked about this in class. The word angels, the Greek is angelos. It means messenger. It's someone who is sent by God. And if you look in Scripture, and if you were to just look up this word, it is used of divine beings, and it's also used of humans. Those who were, went out and they shared the message that was given to them by God. And, and we could use, show a lot of these in, in the New Testament itself. And it's used here to show that this is something that was going to occur before the destruction of the temple. Well, when did these messengers go out? We already know. We just read it last week that the gospel must first be proclaimed to where? All the nations. By the time the destruction of Jerusalem happens, Jesus Christ will have been trampled on and destroyed, and he will have been enthroned. And the angels, the messengers of God, have been sent out all over the known world. Go in the book of Acts, you see it. And it's already being proclaimed. The trampling shows forth that, um, why, or it's showing that Jesus Christ is the one who is rising up. He is the new temple. So why is this in the middle of Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple? He starts verse 24 and he says, but in those days. And that shows to us that there is a new stage of fulfillment. He's talking about destruction. Jerusalem had become like Babylon. The temple had been the symbol of God's presence. It is the place where heaven and earth came 
and met. It was the temple. That's where God was. But the temple, by the time it is destroyed, it has already been replaced. And now heaven and earth is not going to be at the temple. It's going to come through the Son of Man. And now it's not a place in Jerusalem. Jesus sent his spirit so that Jesus could then be in us, fill us with his very presence. Don't be afraid of what's happening in your culture. Because the Son of Man has been exalted to the right hand of God. I don't have to be afraid. A new king has come and he has replaced the failed leadership. The lights are going out on the old powers. It is not the end of the world. It is the beginnings of something better, greater. No longer is this about a national kingdom that's based in Jerusalem. It is an international kingdom that is eternal, that cannot be destroyed. They gave believers hope. Because we saw last week they are hated, they are oppressed because they are devoted to the name of Christ. But Christians are learning that even as they are persecuted, they are actually participating in the kingdom of God that has now arrived. And here's what they know. It's not forever. It's not forever. Jesus is going to come again. And, and all the kingdoms of the earth will bow down before him. And only the righteous will be left. And God will bring his final justice on those who oppose his people, oppressed his people, and who shed innocent blood. I want to go on down. In class, we, we dealt with all of this, but I just want to deal with this latter part of chapter 19. The, the lesson of the fig tree is next, and it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and all of this kind of things, giving them some things there. But then verse 32 says, but concerning that day, and this is something that's new that's risen up here, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeepers to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. There is a change of subject, it seems. He uses a phrase here, but concerning. It's something that was used by some of the New Testament writers to answer a different question. They asked two questions in the beginning. One of those questions is about these things, the destruction of Jerusalem. And they also somehow connected that with the coming of Christ. And I think Jesus may be here, if there's ever in here, it's talking about in chapter 13, where he talked about the second coming of Christ, I believe it's here. And when does he say he's coming? He said, even Jesus says, I don't know. 
It's like, man, what a bummer. <laughs> you know, we finally get to the question, and it's like, no, I, I don't know the day or the hour. And he's saying, that is in the power of the Father. The Father knows. The Father knows. Folks, Jesus never intended his words to be used for end-time scenarios. Yet every generation has had those who have deceived other people with these end-time predictions. They are eventually exposed. They've all been wrong. And what many times will happen is they will say, ah, I forgot to calculate this. And then suddenly there's a new date that comes out. And in the process, they just bring ridicule upon the Christian faith. Jesus says we're not supposed to be tied up into these things. We're not supposed to be sitting there with a Bible in hand and a newspaper in hand and a calculator. Jesus' message is simply this. The world is messed up. And there will always be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and wildfires and floods and mass shootings and Christians being persecuted. Endure it. And while you're enduring it, share the message of the Son of Man who now sits at the right hand of God. Don't be deceived by end-time declarations during the difficult times that may arise. And what he simply says is this, hang on. Just hang on. Jesus is enthroned. He's coming again. Just trust Jesus. That's what we're to be. Throughout Mark's gospel, we've seen these things that he says, these, okay, this is going to happen. And he says, John the baptizer, I mean, uh, or rather, Elijah has to come, and this is all in, in chapter 9 there. And, and we, guess what? He did. And John the baptizer. And, and we learn things such as the Son of Man, he must suffer, and, and, and that, that he must be raised, and he did. And we learn that the temple must be destroyed, and we know that it has. And we have been told that disciples are going to face persecution, and they did, and they are. And we're told that the, the message of the gospel is going to be sent out throughout all the world, and it did, and it is. And Jesus says to us that he is coming again, and you can mark that down. But you just can't use a calendar to do it. He says, don't worry about those things. He says, just trust me. Just trust me. Don't, don't get all, I understand those things are difficult to go through, but don't, don't get all up on edge about those things. He says, Jesus has already conquered the world. Jesus sits on his throne. And he's coming back for the elect. That is, those who have responded to his gospel. What gospel is that? It's the one that Daniel spoke of. It's the one that Jesus spoke of, of Jesus' trampling and his destruction, his death on a cross for all of humanity, but that he rose again. He rose again. And that all who want to be saved from this world, from all that it stands for and all that it represents, those who want to be in the presence of God and God's presence be in you, he says, you can have that now. You can have it now. Just bow before the king. Put your faith, your trust in him. 
whatever he tells us to do, we do it because his word, it's gospel. And there's so many wonderful things. I want to tell you about this Jesus. If you don't know who it is, I want to tell you about it because it's much more than a five-minute little spiel here that you, that you need. You need to learn about this Jesus, and it's so fantastic. But for those of you who have come to Christ and you have followed him and you've followed him through the waters and you continue to try to live your life for Christ and you know you mess up, but you know that your God loves you so much Listen, and, and I know we're going to get out in this world and we're going to see on Twitter and, and Facebook and the news and we're going to hear things about us that aren't even true about Christians. And listen, just, it's okay. We come together here this morning to simply say we're okay and that we endure it and God loves us. And that's why we come together. We don't simply come here we don't come here for your entertainment. We come here because we love God and because we need this. Because when we walk out this door, they're not going to be as nice to us. They don't really care about our message. But that's okay. Endure it. Jesus loves us. He loves us. And if we can help you in any way, if you want to learn more about Jesus... We want to do that. If you're, if you're somebody, you know what? I've been on this brink. I've just been on the edge all along. I'm ready. I'm ready to make that commitment. I'm ready to be baptized into Christ. I'm, I'm ready for this full-on, all-out immersion of Jesus in my life. And, and you're ready for the Spirit of God to help you and lead you and guide you and comfort you. And, and you can have all of that. And you say, I've been on the edge. I'm tired of sitting on the edge. I'm just, I'm ready. I'm just ready. And we want to help you. And you may have things we need to pray about. We want to help you. You don't have to come forward for that. You can ask any of our people here. I'll pray with you. Any of our elders will pray with you. Any of our other people here, they'll be glad to pray with you. And we'll pray with you right here. Because you know what? God loves us. That's why we're here. And because he loves us so much, our love, it just, it just flows forth from us. And it's his love that we give we can help you in any way come now as together we stand and as we sing